Well, I mean, you can't do 50 first dates without going over <laughs> the hour and six mark, can you? Yeah. It's like Blade Runner, you know, sometimes you just got to go over. <laughs> There's a lot to get to grips with in that film, isn't there? Yeah. They, they do say the 50 first dates is the Blade Runner of romantic comedies. <laughs> Set in Hawaii. Set in Hawaii about people with memory loss. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And we're having a break from our themed months as this week we're putting the 1988 anime classic Akira on trial. Is it a blast or is it just a bomb? You might say what, what, what's the difference between a blast and a bomb but you know I think I think we know. A blast is, yeah, you're having a great time, isn't it? A bomb is like, it's bombing. It's bombing. But you could also say, that's the bomb. Yeah, you could. But you could say, that's a bomb. And that doesn't sound as good. That's true. I hadn't thought of that. Whereas a blast is always good, isn't it? It is, yeah. Not if you're caught in a blast. That's true. Uh, If it's like an atomic blast. Too close to the blast, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 just, and guys, you can get banter like, of this quality every week. I know. I know. Uh, essentially, uh, we're going to find out if this will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was the cultural masterpiece, the <laughs> zenith of rom-coms, Fifty First Dates. I judged that trial and I deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. I've since gone away and watched it. So did I make the right call? I'm telling you guys, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> I'm obviously joking. I'm obviously joking. I, but I, I will say that I do think that there was quite a nice story somewhere there, buried away somewhere, like a truffle that's been buried underneath a lot of sludge and shit. And bullying. <laughs> and what you need is a, a real stinky pig to s- snuff it out. <laughs> well, they got one with Adam Sandler, but he didn't snuff it out. Right, now, stinky pig. <laughs> the, the, the main takeaway for me was that it, it was seemed to be trying to have its cake and eat it. Like I think Dave mentioned this point, but you know, it was trying to be this carefree romantic comedy about somebody with memory loss and trying to show like the genuine struggles and the ups and downs of what it would be like to be in that position all the time while while laughing at people with mental illness and also making yeah. a bit of a joke about she, how she doesn't remember him and he can do what he wants. Uh, Dave like hit it slap bang on, nail on the head when he was like Adam Sandler's comedy is about laughing at people not like yeah. making people funny. You know like oh, yeah, if yeah. people having like like Sean Astin's character could have a great line could be funny but no let's just oh he talks funny you know so yeah. <laughs> That, that, that for me was just the whole tastelessness of it all. You know, the yeah. trans jokes, the undertones yeah. of homophobia, the racism, the jokes about people with disabilities and mental health issues. Yeah, all the while, by being delivered by Adam Sandler, right, who's painted as the hero of the piece, but he just comes across as like a real piece of shit. You know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I don't think he, I, I don't think he, I don't think he comes across as one guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, you know what made me really annoyed by it is that um, I was just mad that the proposal, which I genuinely liked, got lumped together with this piece of shit. And <laughs> anyway, uh, now on to the proper trial. Now all the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Alex and Joel. Now, Joel is just like the character Canada. 
He's all bikes and he's all about the boys. But as soon as a girl comes along, he bins it all off. <laughs> Difficult, Joel. You're not, still not let it go, even though he's married and has a child. No. <laughs> <laughs> still, still, still pretty bitter and jealous for that. And you yourself are married as well. <laughs> I will be bitter until the day I die. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> and, uh, Alex is just like Tetsuo. All these years of being the recipient of thinly veiled bullying... Uh, the secret humiliation he's felt of being the hangover honor of a much more charismatic and handsome leader will probably one day result in him kicking off big time and literally exploding. Who the who who have you cast as this handsome leader? <laughs> who's who's our leader, guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, You're the host. Uh, I don't know. No, nobody you... came to mind. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but while I was watching this film, it did remind me of mine and Alex's relationship through school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Especially um, that bit right I, at the I, end. <laughs> I do remember being 17 that day you developed psychic powers. It's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a wake-up call for all of us. <laughs> okay, and uh, after this prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be me and Dave. I'm just like the character Kyoko. I look like a ghost and have spent too long in hospital bed recently. <laughs> and Dave is just like Dr. Onishi. Very stressed after spending all of his days looking at data and trying to fix other people's problems. And what thanks does he get? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. And then he dials into this podcast and he has to suffer through an additional hour of getting the piss taken out of him. <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their real thoughts. Now, this week, Ozzy will be playing the most important role as he will be playing the judge. And he has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. And Ozzy is just like Colonel Shikishima. He dresses like a fascist dictator, acts like a complete shit for the entire time he's on screen, but somehow gets away with it all. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Talking to Katie about times in school and like in primary school and shit like that. And I think I just got away with absolutely anything because if you dress well, you can do whatever you want. People, <laughs> I can imagine you an extremely well-dressed primary school. <laughs> I did. We, we had the option to wear shirt and tie or like polo shirts. No, I would always wear a shirt and tie. Drive my mum insane. That's like a that's like a Tory policy, isn't it? You <laughs> <laughs> dress well, you can literally do whatever you want. <laughs> okay, so no. they don't even dress well these days. They just do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> no, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, before we get started, I think we should give the audience a bit of a better understanding. Oh no, we're not doing this, are we? So, right. <laughs> I'm like, read it to me if you want. No, I'm like, I'm like Ron Burgundy. I'll literally read whatever's put in front of me. Okay, yeah, we're, we're not going to do the Wheel of Impressions for obvious reasons. Uh, instead, I think that we're just going to pass it over to the judge. So, Ozzy, would you like to kindly take it away, please? Yes, so I know next to nothing about this film. I've seen it pop up. I'm sure it was on uh, Netflix. So I've seen its title, poster, the red uh, motorbike. But other than that, I don't think I know anything else about it. I'm going to assume that that's Akira. Um, so, defense, please summarize. Give me a quick brief synopsis and tell me why I should love it. So, that isn't Akira. Uh, that is a guy called uh, Canada. He's the main uh, hero of this. Basically, the film starts in 1988 when the film was made, and an event akin to like a nuclear explosion happens and blows up Tokyo. That's how the film starts. 
Then we jump to 31 years later and we sort of jump into the story of Canada. He's the leader of a biker gang in this sort of cyberpunk world, sort of like Blade Runner, I think. It's sort of that low-life, high-tech, you know, sort of, sort of way of going on. So, you know, later on, basically Canada, it's this, you know, the, the whole sort of Neo, it's Neo-Tokyo now. And it's basically a dystopian society with lots of protests, lots of people going against the government. You've got this sort of secret closed council and very militaristic society, basically, that isn't looking after its citizens. So, you know, lots of people living in poverty. Basically, after a, after a bike chase, an amazing bike chase, we'll, we'll come into the action in a little bit. Canada's friend and sort of general loser, the sort of like, you know, the sort of foil to Canada being the leader. Yeah, Alex of the group. <laughs> oh, okay. We got, I mean, that is must be an actual record for becoming personal. Is that the sort of episode we're going to have? Order. Like, I got nothing else. <laughs> oh, got way nothing too late, else. Aussie. Like, way too late. <laughs> like, way too late. <laughs> I was letting it sink in for a minute. And then... <laughs> letting it land. <laughs> as, he was, as he was trying to decide whether he agreed or not. <laughs> <laughs> is it fair, though? Let, him, let me finish. So basically, Tetsuo uh, is his general loser. Canada's more sort of like, you know, charismatic, the leader and stuff like that. Always looked after. They've grown up together. Uh, Tetsu is injured in this in a, in a bike chase and is taken by the military. Um, I'm sort of I'm having to jump through a few things here, yeah, so yeah. we'll come a bit back to the plot. But Canada fall uh, Canada falls in with the resistance movement that is trying to fight against the government and falls in with them to try and free his friends from from them. In the meantime, the military are doing tests as part of this what's called like an Akira project, basically where they're trying to, and, and this is teased out, it's not like instantly an exposition, this is teased out throughout the entire film I'm talking here, where yeah. basically they unlock human evolution. And this is where we come back to, this relates to the explosion at the beginning of the film. So they start to unlock the human potential and supernatural powers within Tetsuo, and they find out that Tetsuo, Canada's friend, has incredible potential. Basically, Tetsuo can't handle this power, he's not, you know, he's he, he finally, after all these years of being bullied, goes rogue, and the military in Canada must take him down. And this and this sets up this huge sort of end sequence, basically, where they take him down. So that's there are lots of subplots and there are lots of moving parts going on with that. But that's that's the basic part of the story. And I'd say what the huge draw of Akira is, is you know, it's a story which is fantastic, but it's also got just incredible action. This film. I'm sure we'll sure we'll talk about it loads. It was a huge draw at the time, especially Akira was is famous for bringing anime over to the West. And a huge draw of that was just the, the pretty gritty realism. And people weren't, people were surprised that you could get this out of a cartoon. And this was really showed what animation had the potential to do, which is to show things that weren't possible at all at the time of CGI's. You know, now, yeah, maybe you could maybe show Akira, even then I'm not sure, sure if you could really pull it off in CGI. But you've just got these incredible sequences, bike chases, these these dream sequences, which are amazing. You've got them escaping. And it, it is quite gory and it is quite violent. And, you know, that that really did bring in Western audiences. So a really interesting story. Again, I'm sure we'll get into it more um, with just really gritty realism and fantastic action, which still, you know, this is what, 33 years later is still breathtaking to watch now. You know, Akira really did set a, an extremely high standard for anime and for just action films generally. Good, thank you very much. Sounds, sounds like a surefire hit. I'm sure somebody else is going to tell me that it's not. Who wants to go on from the prosecutioner? Now, I, I've got two massive problems with Akira. Firstly, 
The film tries to condense over eight years or 2,000 pages of a serialized magazine into just a two-hour film. And Alex really struggled there to kind of cover everything that happens in the film in a brief synopsis. That's, that's no criticism of Alex. There's just a lot that happens in this film. You just criticized me. You just criticized me like like five minutes ago. I don't... <laughs> no, yeah, that was about something else. <laughs> I, I, think you did a, I think you did a very good job of summarizing everything that happens in Akira just now. I, 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 and I'm being genuine there. But I just think that you can't cover everything about Akira in, in, in that short amount of time because there's just so much that happens. And you'd, I would say you'd need maybe two hours and four minutes. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> even then, even then you probably wouldn't cover everything off. Because of that, this film just feels really rushed. For me, there's a lot of plot points which aren't explained properly or aren't developed any further, but which are obviously detailed in the manga because uh, yeah, I had a couple of questions at the end of it and I went on and did a bit of Googling and it's like, well, in the manga it says this and this. So it answers it for you, but it's just left out of the film for some reason. For example, the film starts off with this big protest and, and ensuing riots, which Alex covered off before, uh, but it's not really explained at any point what, why this is happening. We kind of get hints here and there, but later we see a protester trying to blow up the police department and then a, a mall being bombed. Why? We don't really know. We're showing a glimpse of workers striking at some point. Is that a cause of the unrest? Is it a product of it? Other aspects like how does Tetsuo get his powers in the manga, it's explained that he's injected with a little bit of Akira, but here he just wakes up after a crash and he has them. So did Takeshi accidentally transfer some of his powers when Tetsuo crashed into him or was he injected like in the manga? It seems like an important detail that they left out. I don't know whether I just missed that later on when we're shown some experiments that happen on the Akira Project children. I don't know if, if Tetsuo was, was one of them. I, I, I don't know. It wasn't very clear. Uh, and my second issue, my second biggest point with this film is that it's fucking bonkers. You know, it's really, it's really mad. And, and it, but it's beyond that. It gets tedious. You know, what the hell is the last hour really about? I felt like the first hour, you had all these interesting plot points that were sort of lightly touched on. Alex said before, you know, it doesn't kind of reveal everything in exposition. It just peppers these little plot points, these little interesting aspects early on. And later on, it just abandons a few of them in favor of this one super long and ultimately boring fight between Tetsuo and everybody else. He starts mutating towards the end. And I think that's supposed to symbolize the fears of you know, mutation from uh, an atomic blast. It just felt like he was taking the pace at that point. He was just like, man, they've done everything. And now he's mutating into a big giant blob that's absorbing everything in its path. You know, it just felt a bit ridiculous by that point. After being subjected to... That, that's where it lost you. <laughs> that's where it lost me. Well, no, I, I, I won't lie. It lost me during, like, the preceding 40 minutes when they were just having this just giant battle between Setsu and everybody else. I just felt that could have been condensed a lot more and a lot more of the more interesting plot points could have been developed further. I do have other issues, which I'll go on about later in more detail, but I think what another problem is that, like any piece of science fiction that's set in the future, it automatically dates itself once that date has been reached. So what was once a possible vision of a post-nuclear dystopian future is now just a little bit naff. You know, things that are on the present today, like mobile phones and internet, are missing. But then things that were relevant back in the 80s in Japan, like motorcycle gangs, you know, they're almost irrelevant now, but they're a massive feature of this film. So yeah, all in all, I, I think that it's long and they concentrate too much on the final fight and not enough on the progressing storylines and developing characters. 
Go on, Alex. Little, uh, little comeback. Very small one. Just on the issue, uh, uh, Otomo, the director of Akira, also created the manga. So I think he, you know, I mean, he had the artistic license to change it. And I think he changed it because, you you know, the, the, the manga is eight volumes long. It's huge. And so it does, it starts off the same, but then it differs massively. So, you know, you've yeah. got two different things. Yeah, just like uh, Stephen King in Pet Cemetery. <laughs> let, let, let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> dead, dead is better on Pet Cemetery. <laughs> um, uh, Dave, you got your, uh, you got your hand up. You want a little go at Just a quick point while we're on the, uh, the subject of it, it's adaptation from the manga. The manga carried on for another two years after Akira was released. So it, it, the story wasn't finished yet. They hadn't released all of the manga that the story was trying to trying to tell. So that's why it kind of veered off down a different way. It was never going to be a faithful adaptation. It couldn't be because uh, the story was still yet to be told and yet to be printed. Uh, so he may have developed it. He may have known which route he was going to take, but that's why it's not really an adaptation. A bit like arguably, Game of Thrones then? <laughs> I was just going to say, arguably a better way to go about it than Game of Thrones if you've got the actual writer mm. doing both. Not necessarily an issue for me. The difference but... with Game of Thrones is like the Akira actor was still writing, whereas George R. 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 Martin just can't be asked. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his money now, and he's like, well, um, fair enough. Uh, Joel, have you um, got anything to add while we're just on that general point, or would you want to focus in on something about why why I should love this? Well, Akira for me was like a gateway drug, essentially, into <laughs> uh, into Japanese animation. Like it, it's that important, and I think it was for a lot of people as well. Pokemon was uh, my gateway drug. Yeah, like it's so like incredibly influential, you know, not just in animation in overall, but also in film. Even films like, you know, The Matrix, for example, you can see clear influences like peppered throughout Hollywood from from this film. You know, I don't think it's like an overstatement to say anything like that. It, it's just that groundbreaking. And I think for me personally, I, I've read a lot of manga, I've watched a lot of Japanese animation as well, and you can just see like in everything like the the detail the settings the violence the over the top storyline and things like that all of that has translated into like future animation that that you watch these days you can pretty much see it even if it's a different genre you know it's almost like this this element that everybody starts with in animation is you know look at akira we'll break it down and we'll, we'll build it back up again from there so I don't really think you can understate the influence of this film. Obviously, if you're going to watch it now, it is going to be dated because, you know, it came out in the 1980s and we're in 2021 now. I, th I don't think you could watch any film from that time frame, not have some element of dating in it. But I think to look at it with like you're watching it for the first time today, you've seen other anime films, which are obviously much better polished. Maybe the storytelling is better and things like that. You know, we wouldn't have that now if it wasn't for Akira. So the two of them, they're mutually exclusive, if you like. And like, we wouldn't have these modern standards today if we didn't have Akira. So there you go. So Joel, in the defense, is suggesting that Akira is massively influential. And, and regardless of whether you think it's batshit crazy or not, it, it's really paved the way for other films, not necessarily animations, but just films and storytelling in general. Uh, Dave, any comeback on that? I think Joel's got a point. I, guess, I certainly think you can see, like Alex said, Blade Runner. You know, he mentioned that, and that clearly had an influence upon Akira. But then you could say, yeah, it's, it must have influenced The Matrix to a degree. It's got that kind of, like Alex said, low-life, high-tech. Anything within that genre, I think they all borrow bits from each other, and they take bits and pieces. So, yeah, I think certainly there is some influence here. But don't forget, it, it may have influenced The Matrix. Therefore, it also influenced Matrix Reloaded. 
Let's not get carried away. And if we follow that train of thought, we will inevitably come to revolutions. Won't we? <laughs> <laughs> we will indeed. We will indeed. Um, but no, influential, sure, sure. Um, it, it's played its part. The problem I have with the story, just to get onto that one, is, is it's very complicated. Now, Gav hinted at this before. There are a lot of subplots going on here, and not all of them are resolved. They're just kind of left hanging in the middle of nowhere with no real resolution to them. Um, I'm thinking particularly the uh, the substory with Ryu and, and Netsu, who's kind of his government back. You don't know what his motivation is. You don't understand. Turns out he's corrupt in the end, but there's gaps here. You know, you've, you've got the semblance of a subplot, but there are gaps. And maybe you need to go back to the manga to work out how. And like Alex said, uh, Katsuhiro Otomoto, the, the, the director, uh, was also the writer of Akira, the manga. Maybe he was too close to it. You know, when you're trying to describe a film to someone that you've seen and you're missing key points because it seems like so obvious to you and this other person doesn't have a clue what you're talking about, I feel he was too close to his own project. And maybe he should have written it and adapted it for the screen, but ultimately let someone else direct it and someone else kind of have a say in the matter. Like, uh, but what about this? I, I don't understand what's going on here. Maybe he was too close to his own project and he missed out key bits simply because he it was just automatic to him. He knew this story like the back of his hand, but it doesn't mean that he can relay it well to the audience. And yeah, the, there is real confusion with this film. Um, like I say, a lot of plots are unresolved. A lot of the dialogue doesn't really give you the... Maybe some of it's lost in translation, I'll admit, and there's nothing that can be done to help that. But a lot of the dialogue doesn't seem to give you the answers that you're craving. And it's up to your own interpretation by the end of it. Some people might like that. Some people might not. Some people, when you've got a plot that's clearly got so much thought behind it, maybe people want to actually hear the explanation of what the developer was thinking in the first instance. And I just don't think that comes across. Do you think that's... Uh, I mean, I'm going to put this to the defence. Do you agree with that statement? And, and is that just due to maybe the director is only... You know, he's, used, he's good at working in one medium and it's a medium that's given them free reign to delve into such detail it's difficult to edit no i i, I mean i disagree that the plot is you, you, that you can't understand the plot i i understood the plot perfectly well so i, I don't understand that at all i i just did that there wasn't any points where i had to look anything up or i just understood it perfectly in in the bits that the subplots aren't tied together i definitely think that's an artistic choice i don't think it's an artistic like failing i think that's what they were going for you know you talk about blade runner Blade Runner doesn't, you know, completely tie up every single part of, of its plot either. You can talk about Kira and you, you do think about, God, the Stanley Kubrick film, the sci-fi. What am I talking about? Uh, 2001. Yeah, 2001. Yeah, it's very like that yeah, towards yeah. the end, yeah, yeah. It? And, and, you know, oh, again, <laughs> okay, you can like that and you can, or you can not like that. But Akira isn't going to give you everything laid out on a plate because it's very, you know, cerebral in bits. And it's very, you know, and, it, and it's going all the way for its... For the, for the animation as well. And when you're going for all of the animation, you don't need to be, I don't, and, you, and, and, and as an audience member, I don't want it to be setting down every single s small plot point. I didn't need it to. I got all the plot points. I, I did, I thought the Nezu and Ryu was, was you know, summed up quite well. You know, he, he's given a task, he comes back, he fails. Nezu is a corrupt politician who's trying to foment something. He ends up shooting and, and dying and killed by his own greed, basically. I, I understood that perfectly. What, what I'd just like to, what I was sort of trying to talk to you about is the animation here. And this is where this huge scope of the film really comes into its own. There was a massive scope, especially with, with animation. It was incredibly ambitious at the time. And the most expensive anime film ever made, I think a billion yen. I've seen a few different ones, but between five and $10 million is the, is the budget that I saw for, for Akira in a few places. A billion yen is, is seems like agreed by quite a few people. And 
Katsuhiro uh, Otomo was trying, he wanted to do what this film did for Joel. That was his intention. He wanted to, this film to bridge over to the West. And he did a few things. He spent an incredibly large amount of money. And this is before digital animation, remember. So this is hand-painted celluloid sheets that have been photographed, okay? Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, that had 56,000 different celluloid sheets for it. Akira had 150,000 hand-painted celluloid sheets. And this was to make the animation less static and make it a little bit more like Western audiences. So remember, like, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, 1937 or something, that used 250,000 animation frames, you know? So this is... Otomo was trying to make this a little bit more like a Western version but still completely retaining its Japanese character. It also used 70 millimeter film. I know this is slightly film geeky stuff, but it is important when talking about an Akira of this, when you're talking about a film of this fidelity and this intricacy, it is important. And you know, this is, this is the most anime used 35 millimeter and this allowed just the incredible detail. And this is where from, from artists, point of view akira is is just mind-blowingly good you know and, and i don't think i get that personally just watching it because i'm looking at the plot and the action and stuff like that but you've got these dream sequences that tetsu tetsuo goes through you are watching it thinking this is approaching something like cinema as an art form and anime as an art form just absolutely incredible and when you've got that sort of thing going on in the film I, yeah I, I don't want that to be broken up with oh and then, by the way this is a plot and have it all pinned out perfectly I want to be in a state of just awe, and that's where Akira keeps you the entire way through the film. I mean, there you go. I mean, anything from the prosecution on that, that sounded quite, again, a very uh, compelling argument thing. I mean, I know we've talked about it in the past, great films that inspire people to uh, take up painting, photography, who knows? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like Gattaca. <laughs> 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 I'd, I'd, I'd like to say that I think Alex is... A very intelligent guy, and he's got to you think know, about. Bad's you, I know. Yeah. You know, Joel's on the prosecution, on the defense as well. Come on, no, guys, no, oh, just... no, oh, no, 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 no. Just hear me out. You know when it starts with something nice. I know. No, no, no. I've just said something that I'm not going to forget for like the next fortnight. That's just going to be playing over. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. Alex is a very intelligent guy, but he needs to think about all stickers here who did find it hard <laughs> to fucking piece together what was happening in Akira. I genuinely did have moments where I struggled to figure out what the fuck was going on. And and I will concede everything that Alex said towards the end of his argument there is 100% true. The animation is superb. It's absolutely beautiful. It is an achievement in, in cinema. Uh, I think the music as well is absolutely yeah. incredible. So was the voice acting as well. But for me it's style over substance you know this this transcended film and became like a pop culture icon but so does hulk hogan and if you go back and watch the majority of his matches they were shit <laughs> but let's not forget that like at the bulk of this this is a film we're talking about cinema as an art form but fundamentally this is a film and with a film you need a story and i think the story just is a bit weak it's also the concept is a bit of a cliche for me the military trying to control an unknown power, which is the result of and or cause of an atomic disaster. You know, we've seen this so many times with Japanese pop culture. I feel like it was done a lot better by other films like Godzilla or Grave of the Fireflies. 
But whereas Godzilla was a clever allegory and Grave of the Fireflies was like a comprehensive and historically telling, this is a mix of the two as a result. I feel like the message is a little lost. It becomes, it's not quite a metaphor. It's not quite, you know, retelling. It's more of a parody. When it comes to the story, I mentioned before how I felt it was rushed and that the story suffers because of this. Dave mentioned a number of the unanswered questions that we have. Right, right at the beginning, we're like, why is Akira? You know, that gets answered later on. But then there's other questions like, why is this civil unrest? Why is the colonel uh, being, uh, why is he amongst the political elites of Neo-Tokyo? And um, why is the resistance trying to kidnap one of the test subjects? Why are the resistance being funded by one of the city's leaders? There's a lot of questions that just aren't answered. And there's, that's just a handful I had at the beginning. I feel like the first hour, as I said before, it asks a lot of questions and it's a bit mad, but it's still intriguing. It's, it still captures my imagination and I'm, I'm engaged while I'm watching it. But then the second hour, you soon realize that you're not going to get an answer to some of those questions. Instead, you're going to be subjected to an overly long and tiresome fight scene. Uh, at the end, I mentioned before, it's just ridiculous. Tetsuo develops all of these powers and he fucks up most of the city. Then he becomes consumed by it. He turns into this giant blob and absorbs everything in his path. Then Akira, who was a he was in a succession of glass jars. He reforms himself and decides to blow himself, Tetsuo, those weird ghost kids <laughs> and most of the city up. Yeah. I'm glad you that sentence. Blow yeah. up. Yeah. Just say blow up. Then you think about the first hour and all of the, all of the, all the time. that Because bearing in mind, the, the second hour is just that one fight scene. The first hour, you think about all the time spent on the pointless shit. There's this 10-minute scene where the army are talking about Akira, a, a secret underground facility where they're being held. Uh, you could have removed that scene entirely and it wouldn't have affected the plot at all. Same with the scene where Canada and Kay are talking about what's happened to Tetsuo. Alex mentioned about Tetsuo's hallucinations in the hospital. They went on for a long time and they didn't really add anything to the story. I think you could have cut them. Uh, you look at some of the important scenes that felt rushed or shoehorned in or just didn't exist. For example, two of Canada's gang are murdered. We don't see that. There's also a whole sort of uh, political unrest. There's a, a coup d'etat that happens off screen. The greedy leader getting his comeuppance after trying to abandon Neo-Tokyo. That feels rushed and just out of place. The whole fi film feels like, as I mentioned before, it's trying to condense a series of graphic novels. The, uh, the, the writer instead chose to prioritize style over substance when more substance in other scenes would have been much better. So the visuals of that underground army scene that I mentioned or the hospital hallucinations, as Alex mentioned, they're all absolutely beautiful. But those scenes serve no real purpose and the rest of the film suffered because of it that's a pretty again another damning analysis is beauty uh, not that. its own purpose ozzy i'll leave that with you <laughs> well, that's a, a very uh, profound thought thank alex you. and from one as as learned as yourself <laughs> yeah thank yeah. you don't listen as, to these as acknowledged by the prosecution <laughs> 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 it means a lot uh, so i just lumped dave in with me as well <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs> Probably, probably the second most learned of, uh, <laughs> of the team here behind Alex. Uh, Joel, um, come back against some of that, please. You know, I know that you're a big anime fan, and um, and it strikes me that a lot of the prosecution points here are about be a lack of editing or a lack of critical direction necessarily. I think people it's, are agreeing just, that it's very it's good artwork, but not necessarily good. It's, it's kind of typical Japanese style. But, you know, for the time, again, 1980s, late 1980s, this was potentially 
probably the best animation that we'd see for five, ten years span either side of that. You know, it was it was that good. But if, if you think of something like, like just a normal film these days, if you then watched a film from the 1980s, you could immediately, you know, tell the differences, especially if there was CGI. With Akira, you could quite easily, if I told you this was made like 10 years ago, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't question that. You'd just watch it and you'd probably believe me. And in terms of some of the themes, I think it's one of those films where it's got a lot of kind of hidden meanings. And I think it was, you know, designed that way. It's a metaphor for the atomic attack attacks on Japan, you know, during World War Two. There's a lot of stuff online, like if you read it in message boards, people discussing like the, the hidden meanings behind it. But if you watch like some of the similar films like Studio Ghibli from that time, or even things like Ghost in the Shell, you know, Cowboy Bebop, they all kind of go over the, the same type of thing. And, you know, it, it's always about like technology and becoming like victims of the government and all that type of thing. But the one kind of character in this in this film, Canada, he is pretty much the only one who refuses to be like, you know, victimized by any sort of government or technology or, and I think, you know, the fact that you can go on message boards now and people are still discussing the meanings behind the film, the fact that you can get so much out of it so many years later on is something special, really. A bit like Donnie Darko. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, th- I think that's a really interesting point that Joel's pointing out there is that actually there's there's a whole host of other, other, other messages within there that are captured, probably because it's such a big piece of work and and maybe you know maybe the the argument that's coming back from the prosecution is actually that because it is such a huge body of work that it's it's more the it's to do with the editing and to rummage that down it's quite difficult to capture what how many did you say it was gavin like it's two thousand pages two thousand pages of story you know and and you know many many scenes within that to try and capture the, the essence to put it into a film i don't know does anybody have anything on uh, i mean we've touched on the artwork we've touched on the story touched a bit on the direction i think what one thing to to mention definitely before we wrap up is is the action and how it's shot you know it, japanese anime at, at that time had like a real reputation for just like being over the top violent and akira is like violent but it's just shot like so well like the action set pieces and you know you can you can watch one of them and you know you'll you'll finish the film and then you'll go on youtube and you'll want to watch that action piece again you know it's that type of film and i think like in terms of anime action especially like it's probably the best you will see around that time especially and probably 10 20 years into the future as well does the action and then the way it's shot and the gore and whatever is is the point of all of them or is there something a bit deeper yeah, it is actually, but we all lo- love gore here. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We've got we yeah, know, yeah, we've got no yeah. problem with it, and yeah, I mean, we're to see it done well, the target audience. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> essentially, and to see it done well and you know impactfully is really great. That there's one bit after where they do it after the bike scene where he sort of slides his bike, and it's one of the most referenced. You know, and you can say that in about so many scenes in Akira, it's one of the most referenced bits in it. I, I just have a just a quick thing, just sort of ties in with the animation. Uh, this was also the first Japanese a- animation where they animated after the voice recording. So they, voice, they recorded oh, the actors first, yeah. and then they put the animation to it. And I do think you can see quite a big difference. Sometimes when you're watching uh, animation generally where it's, where it's come afterwards, the actors are obviously having to act to the cartoons, which does you know, literally make it quite a caricature performance at times. Whereas this, 
was done afterwards so the actors could do, do, do a more natural performance, put a little bit more of themselves into the character. And that allowed for, I think that allowed for a little bit more freedom. It was groundbreaking at the time and literally never been done. So no, no, I mean, I I, it was actually going to be one of my questions. That's a really interesting point in terms of voice acting. And I assume everybody, I guess everybody watched it with you, the original audio and subtitles. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, so in that, in that sense, does that make a big difference? I think that was a huge leap forward in terms of like did, the Pixar type live, you know. And Gav didn't answer. And could you read that much, Gav? I know you find it. Were you saying yourself? No, no, I will say that the director did mention that um, a lot of the because there's been several different versions of this film, and he said that he was he was unhappy with some of the versions that went out. So I think his his best one was one that was released in the '90s, and it was the Japanese audio and the um, obviously the English subtitles. But the original one with English dub over it apparently is just incomprehensible. And that went, obviously, that was shipped out to a lot of cinemas and, you know, it was a VHS release. I, I don't know if I've seen that or not. I don't think so. And I think that because of that, there was a lot of things like the story that were lost in translation. But I can't remember what the question was. Okay, so you're almost a victim of... Uh... <laughs> well, well I mean, the question was... I mean, in, in essence, the question wasn't really about the subtitle. The question was about, did the audio fit the animation properly? Did it feel like yeah, you were watching yeah. a story uh, rather than a... No, as I said before, I think the, vo the voice acting is, is brilliant, and, and that's exactly because of, of what Alex said there. So, I, you know, I won't argue with yeah. that. I think he's spot on. But the translation me, to make you understand the story was. Uh, yeah, no, but I, I didn't watch that, so I don't care about that either. I'm just saying that that is, that is an issue. For, for me, the, my biggest problem is, is the story suffers because of it. So it doesn't matter how great the voice acting is, it doesn't matter how beautiful the animation is or you know how incredible the music is either what matters is the story which is, for me suffers it's, it's 2000 pages condensed into a 2 hour film which just leaves a lot so, to be imagined you know, like gav keeps saying it but it's not it's not true and i said this at the start like he, he hasn't condensed 2000 he he went away from and dave said the same thing you know he hadn't even finished the manga he went away from the story and did something different because he was making a two hour and See, it's a film. completely different film from the manga and <laughs> it suffers because of that <laughs> you should be uh, in does politics have any, anything, anything to record, dave you got a little wrap up from the uh, prosecution yeah just to come back on a couple of points i don't I, everyone's saying how beautiful this film is i think this film is very ugly you know skillfully animated no no doubt you know there's clearly a lot of a lot of skill and it's been a labor of love for people but this is very industrial very gray and it's all set at night you know we talk about you know beautiful films films that are easy on the eye and you say oh you could you could pluck out a frame every couple of seconds and hang it on your wall i don't think akira is that film i think you know that the film is quite an ugly film to behold you know it's not pretty at all it's very grim it's very dark it's very murky it's quite unpleasant on the eye in some ways but that was the intent you know but uh, you can't deny it was skillfully animated um what you're saying about the voice acting is true you know um america have been doing it that way for decades you record the acts first then you animate around them uh they finally decided to do that with with japanese animation for the first time and it worked the music, however, they could have done with sticking to the old rules for music and let uh, the composer have sight of the film and then compose the music, which they didn't do. They just sent the composer off to make to write the music and then they had to chop and change his musical pieces to fit them in the scenes. Yeah. And that I think that had to suffer. The music itself is good, but it doesn't always fit what's going on on the screen for that reason. The composer really should have had sight of what he was recording the score for 
and then he can take it from there, which is the way it, it should be done, really. But I think they uh, they dropped the ball on that. <laughs> I imagine in the world of um, animation and and in sort of cartoon animation, the timeline probably doesn't lend itself very well to that. I imagine because there's not many frames, it probably took an absolute uh, age to create. Um, mm. I just hey, you should be sitting to... on the fence here, Judge. Right? <laughs> I know I am. I'm just sort of trying to weigh it off in my head. But you know, like I don't I haven't spoken to many people today, so. I want to really hear my, hear my own voice for a bit. Um, I, I like how more disheveled you're looking as the as the trial is going on. You started out with the tie and your sleeves yeah. down, and now your hair's all yeah, over the place. Off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the uh, end of it, you're gonna end up in just a vest, <laughs> no pants. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think I've got. I think I've got quite a bit to to go off here. I think I've got a reasonable idea. Um, I think I've got enough to go off. So if somebody got a quiz while I write the rest of my uh, notes down. Uh, certainly have so I struggled to be honest with this quiz because I was going to do it on Japanese animation but I didn't know how many films and things people had seen so it's pretty much just Akira. based on Akira. <laughs> um, and I think like even some of the arguments I've heard some of the answers for this so, so this one might shock you actually it's from Wikipedia and it doesn't actually say if it's based on inflation or not but where does Akira rank in the top 50 Japanese anime films in terms of box office Top 10? No, top 5. Is that like including all like sales since and stuff like that? Or is that just like at the time? Is it adjusted for inflation? This is like, no, I don't think it is adjusted for inflation and it's everything up to now. So up to 2021. I'd say number one. No, I'm going to say number three. Uh, It's quite old. So it's probably, and I imagine you didn't pay for it back then. (laughs) Like, I can't (laughs) imagine there was. Maybe get that much money in these days. No one's going to pay for it, are they? So I'm going to say you got a guess. Yeah, sixteenth. Ozzy's Ozzy's right. To be honest, so it's it's forty fourth. Wow. Wow. So it took forty nine million, and at the moment the top one is is the Demon Slayer movie with five hundred million. So. Ooh. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I've not watched that. Is that good, Joel? It is good, yeah. But you need to have seen TV show as well. So question two, definitely somebody has mention this but it's a two-parter so what year does the movie take place in in the future not the, not the oh god alex alex 2019 it is and then this is the second part so what other non-anime film that was directly influenced by akira is also set in a futuristic 2019 blade, blade runner was set in 2019 wasn't he correct blade runner oh um so this one is a, is a proper like trivia question. So there's a scene in Akira featuring a jukebox and it meant there's three classic rock bands on that jukebox. Can anyone name any of them? Status yeah. Quo. Uh, Death Leopard. Um, Status Quo. Cream. 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 Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Do you say Cream or Queen? Cream. Cream. Okay. Cream and Led Zeppelin are definitely two of them. Yeah, when it's saying the third one was. Oh, they no, they no. So the other one is Rolling Stones. Or? You go through it. Puberty. To get, to get, into, <laughs> to get into a room, a house. Oh, the, the doors. Doors. So, question four: Which director was scheduled to produce a live-action remake? Congrav. Zack Snyder. It is. Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi would be good. Zack Snyder would do it, but then he'd probably do it another four times just because, you know. He'd do it, but it would would last two days. (laughs) (laughs) He'd cover every page of that manga. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not one frame left out. 
so yeah, it is. Uh, apparently, it's been pushed back because of some of his other films and COVID and things like that. But I think he still still wants to do it. Uh, so again, uh, this one has definitely been mentioned. So, what genre does Akira have so much influence on? Cyberpunk. Um, cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. That's right. Question six: Which famous rapper has voiced um, that Akira's his favorite film? Gav. Kanye West. Kanye yeah, yeah. West. Correct. <laughs> Okay. Do not let that influence your decision. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you, you've definitely mentioned this one, so I'm going to rule you out of it, see if sure. everyone else was paying attention. To the closest million, what was the budget for this film? Bam. Seven million. I write it down. Is it 5.5 million? Dave? Uh, two million. Between five and okay. ten, he said. I think like the, the closest figure I've seen is 10 million, so... Okay. Um, five and a half. Damn it. Sorry. Wasn't listening to you. None of you were listening. <laughs> I, I listened. You said between five and I ten. I did. I did. You did listen, Gav. I'm sorry. So here's... I, found it. I listened to you, but I didn't listen to Akira. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize for this one in advance, Alex. So Cam Clark, who did the English dub for Canada, um, <laughs> also voiced... Wobbles, wheelchair, Alex Mutant. <laughs> <laughs> you can't apologize and insult me. It doesn't, it's not the, the rules of society, Joel. You can't, can't pre apologize for it. Was it Captain Picard? Here's another fact that proceed. He also voiced um, Liquid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Oh. Don't try and get back into my good books, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what huge, what other hugely influential anime started in the 1980s, which is still going extremely strong today? It's one of Dragon the world's Ball. biggest shows. Dragon Ball. Uh, and then again, this is like a proper pub quiz question. Last question. So, when Tetsuo's body is being scanned, the computer sounds that were produced in the background they were taken from a sci-fi film. Which is like legendary. Bam. Dave. Is it from Alien? It is. It's from Alien. Oh, wow. Well done, Dave. Jesus. Well done. So there you go. So I reckon that's a pretty equal split, actually. So everyone's a winner today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what were the sounds, it. by the way? Were they the sounds of Mother or were they just like generic sounds? <laughs> just like just generic. Just sounds. Sigourney Weaver. Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, well, thank you very much for that, Joel. I've had a good thought. I think you both put up some pretty good, uh, good stories on this one. Uh, and to be honest with you, it strikes me that it's very difficult for, and I think the same with any anime. They quite often, you know, they're based on manga, comics. I know the bulk of the uh, of the Japanese anime that's on Netflix or any of the streaming sites. You know, they all of that stuff that's super popular isn't always the best written. You know, I can try and think of the one. What's the one with the big massive giants? Um, Pacific. Oh no, yeah. Uh, no, I just feel like you're being very <laughs> generalist here. I see. Like, yeah, but like we can all agree that all anime shit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's not necessarily. That's not actually what I'm saying. Is that uh, this strikes me that maybe it stands out uh, amongst others in terms of you know the the anime which sort of I've enjoyed in the past when I was when I was younger. Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z. But I'm, you know, I'm aware of Akira. I've, always, I've heard it mentioned quite a lot of times, and I think Joel and Alex brought this up that this is a, an influential film, which is sort of still being, you know, being talked about and referenced in in pop culture today. You know, there's an entire shop in Camden associated with 
crazy cyberpunks. You know, it's one of the biggest shops in in Camden Market, so it's um, it's influencing somebody at some point. And um, very Camden shop to have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a tough one because I, I imagine that the story probably is quite garbled and quite difficult to capture because there's so many points, you know, there's so many, um, the, the manga probably captures a whole host of issues with Japanese life at the time. And, you know, and they're always very political and always pointing, I think it was mentioned that the bomb is probably a metaphor for, you know, for nuclear warfare and the way humans are under, essentially on the path to destruction. I don't know. I think, I think it was captured well as a defense. You, you give a good, a good argument. I think it's a tough one. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards it going on the hit list, but I'm I'll have to I'm gonna reserve true judgment till I've watched it this week and tell you what list it really should have been on. I think you're safe, Ozzy. Especially you. I think I'm pretty sure you're safe on that one. Uh, well, you don't know with Ozzy, do you? Really? <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Okay. So never know. real thoughts. I mean, I'm pretty sure that. I can guess everybody's Joel. I think you're probably a big fan of this. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I kind of grew up for it and I was pretty truthful saying, like, it was like a gateway for me to get into, you know, anime, which I still watch today. So, so yeah, I like it. But I think coming into it today, I mean, we say this pretty much every week, but coming into it today, you, you may not see what all the fuss is about, but I still think it's worth watching. Okay. And uh, thanks, Joel. Alex, how do you feel about it? Yeah, Kira's amazing, hugely influential. And, uh, you know, just going on what Ozzy said, uh, one of the things that we sort of discussed it, so I didn't want to bring it up again. I, I really liked the idea of, you know, because he's talking about humans dealing with the power greater than they should have. And this was a film that came out in the 1980s, one of the first times I think Western audiences would have really got a Japanese perspective on the idea of nuclear weapons, which I think was 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 huge, I think, at the time, because, you know, we've, we've very much got the Western ideas about how why nuclear weapons were used, but this is the only country that's ever been attacked with nuclear weapons. And I think to have that in, to that, have that in a very accessible action-ridden story and for it still to be an important theme is a real testament to just the, the, the story chops of, of Akira. And I think, I, I'm not sure if I appreciate the animation as much as someone who is more sort of that way inclined, but even me, you know, a bit of a, you know, a dunce on that sort of stuff, I, I was blown away. So it's a, a solid hit list, Akira. If, if, if Akira is not on the hit list, we really need to rethink what the hell we're doing. <laughs> it's about, it's about it, the argument there is I was going to say, it strikes me that this show isn't really about films. It's about <laughs> arguing with each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Us just sort of getting out our internal friendship <laughs> anger <laughs> through the medium of film. <laughs> Basically, all our arguments are kind of an allegory of just like, you know, our anger. This whole show is essentially a metaphor. Just for... <laughs> How much yeah, I'd, I'd call it like group therapy, but for the fact I think it started more problems than it's fixed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> backfired. Okay, uh, Dave, how do you feel about this? Uh, I'd never seen Akira before. I watched it yesterday for this podcast. I watched it relatively late, but then I watched it again a second time straight after. Wow. I thought it was brilliant. I wow. thought it was brilliant. I, I wasn't making up any flaws, but I was over-egging how, how much it really matters. Um, yeah, the plot is very convoluted. Maybe reading the manga would help. But it doesn't lose you. You know, you, you still follow it. You're still able to understand more than enough of what is going on on the screen. I thought it was really well directed. It's hard to really get your head around how do you direct an animated film. And I don't know enough about it. But little things that he has the characters do, you know, little hand gestures and things like that, that he's clearly said, I want him to do this. I know it's one where um, Kaneda is, is like trying to plead for his life. He's like banging, tapping on the floor as he's doing so. And it's like little things like that, you know, little things that he's 
made these characters more human and more real. They're, they're just pixels at the end of the day, they're just cartoons, but he's made these characters real. He's fleshed it out. This was a real labor of love. I stand by, it's not necessarily a beautiful film. I think it is gritty and it can be quite uh, grotesque on the eyes at times, especially with the gore and elements like that. But it's still uh, breathtaking to behold. You know, not necessarily beautiful, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is still fantastic to see. Okay. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, I I watched this years ago when I was about, I don't know, 14. I thought it was brilliant. I had like a t-shirt, I had a poster and I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But I think it's one of those things where... You like, did it, used to talk like that, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> 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 it's so so I think it's like one of those things that's transcended. Like it's, it's, it's more than just the film now. It's like, you know, that image of Marilyn Monroe from the 70-year itch. You know, it's, it's more than, than the film. And that scene of him on the bike or him holding the gun is iconic. And when I went back and watched it last last year, it was when the cinemas briefly reopened during COVID. They were showing loads of old classics, and we went to go and see Akira. And I was like, "This is gonna be amazing!" And I was picking it up so much to my wife, saying, "You're gonna fucking love this." And we sat there, and I was like, "Oh, it's not, it's not as good as as I remember it being. It's still, it's still good. I still appreciated everything, but it was, it was more convoluted, as Dave said, than I remembered it being. The, the beginning took a while for me to get. Hang on, what the fuck's going on? And I had to explain a lot of it to, to my wife on the car ride home. I think it was more just a case of she just lost interest very quickly. So I don't think it had as much appeal, or it wasn't as brilliant as I remembered it being. But I still enjoyed it. But yeah, I think it's like one of those things where you build up so much in your mind that when you revisit it later on, it's just not as good as you had built it up to be, if, if that makes sense. So when I watched it again to, to review it for this, I did enjoy it a lot more, but I think that's because my perceptions of it were, we're drastically lowered. Yeah. I want to hear more about this Marilyn Monroe. Like, when when did that stop working for you, that image you brought me? still works for me, still works for me. Was it just a time when it just, yeah, it just wasn't doing anything? That picture of her in the seven year age, that picture of James Dean in a leather jacket, that one of Mm. Marlon Brando on the Mm. motorbike, those three for me. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) On your ceiling, aren't they? I look forward to to telling you what I think about it. But, um, okay, so uh, is it? Oh, I don't even want to do this, but I will. Higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was. Yeah, (laughs) massively lower. I think this might be the highest rated film we've ever done. 90% for both audience and critical. So, yeah, it's hard to get lower. When did the critic ratings come out, though? Are those critic, critical ratings, are they like recent critical ratings? I think and they're still you'd be an absolute, yeah, yeah. And you'd, have, you'd be an absolute dick not to put it on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at this point. No, but you do get the odd arsehole, doesn't it, that wants to... To be honest, like, Ozzy, this is like prime you territory, do you know yeah. what I mean? Whenever we've got like a proper five-star... I was tempted, even though I, kind of, <laughs> I could kind of tell that all four, all four of you genuinely think it's a good film and it, it deserves to go on a hit list. But I, I, I thought the arguments, there's, there's, you know, it seems like a solid argument for it not to be a hit. It just strikes me that it, when you watch it, it's entertaining and it should be. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'm pretty sure when our friend Winston does the artwork, here's Dave <laughs> say that Akira isn't beautiful. He'll be like in the car on the way to Dave's until he is in qualify it, and then he'll be like, fine. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, <laughs> maybe turn it around a bit. But yeah. I think I, I think I've cancelled out my Blade Runner success for him. <laughs> yeah, I, I did send him a text to apologise in advance. I said, listen, I'm sorry for anything that I say about Akira during this episode. Um, and I think I might have to avoid going to that barbecue he's having next month. <laughs> Just in case he comes at me with a red hot spatula. <laughs> Meaty red hot spatula. <laughs> onions on it. Uh, now, <laughs> next week, we're going to start a Who's On It season. And the first film to be pulled out of the hat at random is Knives Out. So, cool. uh, yeah. And, and you know what? To, to keep with the whodunit theme, I'm not going to reveal the roles until next week. So you guys <laughs> have got to watch the film and prepare two arguments. Now, the, the, the roles have been pulled out of the hat at random. So in defense, it's going to be myself and Ozzy. In prosecution, it's going to be Joel and Alex. And the judge is going to be Dave. So look forward to that one, guys. So just to say thank you very much for your arguments. Very well put once again. And thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode. Really do appreciate you taking the time out to listen. If you want to get more top quality Films on Trial content, then go on filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on social media, Twitter at Film Trials, and Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Films on Trial. So that is it. Akira is a hit. And we're going to be directly in your ears next week. Or are we with our Who Done It month? <laughs> with Knives Out or In? Ooh. <laughs> See, you. <laughs> See you next week. Goodbye. Nobody sang Shakira, Shakira. <laughs> it did enter my mind. Akira, Akira. Akira, Akira. Or if I start with, oh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs>